you are listening to a podcast from The National. Next week sees the start of the country's biggest property show, Cityscape Abu Dhabi, an international melting pot of industry professionals, local and global developers, and real estate managers. The exhibition offers opportunities galore for those involved in or interested in the property sector. But individuals are also welcome, and there are many experts on hand willing to offer their advice on legal, financial and market issues, whether you're looking to buy or sell a home, planning a property portfolio, or even acting on a client's behalf. This is the Business Extra podcast. My name's Chris Nelson, and later I talk to Henry Bott, portfolio manager at Swire Properties, the Hong Kong-based developer behind the huge Taiku Place commercial building complex that's located in the island city's Quarry Bay area. But first, I'm joined on the line by The National's business reporter Sarah Townsend to take a look ahead at the upcoming Cityscape Abu Dhabi. Cityscape Abu Dhabi starts next week, and uh, it's it's not just a talking shop. It brings together investors, home buyers, um, you know, industry professionals, but also leading property developers. And they're not just there to to, to chat, are they? I mean, they're, they're there to buy, sell, you know, as well as network and exchange ideas. Um, you've been to Cityscape before. Um, what is it? Do you think uh, about the exhibition that makes it um, such a big draw, particularly uh, for, for foreign and regional companies? Yeah. Well, absolutely. It, it isn't just a talking shop. Obviously, there's the element of marketing some big new schemes, you know, just coming out of the ground or even just newly unveiled. Um, but it is also um, Abu Dhabi's biggest uh, real estate trade show. Um, and, uh, and, and therefore, it attracts, you know, hundreds of people um, from all across the world, um, foreign investors, but also investors from within the UAE. Um, and um, and certainly deals are done. Now, the organisers are always a bit tight-lipped about exactly sort of, you know, the, the volume of, of deals um, signed. So we haven't got a figure for how much was actually, uh, how many deals were actually signed last year. Um, but um, certainly last year's show was a, a bit of a um, reflection of a more buoyant market, a more active real estate market after a slightly more um, a sluggish few years amid the low oil prices when people were just a little bit more cautious with their money, um, both developers and, and investors. So from what I'm hearing on the ground, this year is going to be similar. It's going to be um, a, another year where, where people are really trying to sort of drum up interest and, and uh, take advantage of a, of, a, of a slightly more buoyant market. Yeah, and I, th- I think uh, maybe um, listeners uh, aren't uh, too aware of the fact that it's not just, you know, big heavyweight um, professionals involved. I mean, you you know, if you're looking to invest in a new family house or, or a property within a portfolio as such, you know, you'll be able to go there and, and find something that specifically fits your um, your sort of, uh, you know, requirements, aren't you? Budget, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, certainly a trend we're seeing really across the whole UAE real estate market over the past year or, or two or even three years, really, is this move towards... Um, affordable um, family housing or, or even even not family but just uh, you know actually bought by end users not mm. just uh, say overseas investors um, hoping to sort of make a make a quick buck it's people who are actually looking to live in these live in these homes and, and kind of make a life there and we saw that last year with um, the schemes that were on show mm. so um, a lot of them were about these big these big communities, new communities, which were 
residential led, but you know they also had uh, elements of uh, um, you know shops shops and uh, and retail everything like that that makes up a community i mean we had al Gadir from aldar you know that was an affordable yeah. scheme comprising 611 homes yeah and the 10 price billion was dirham was 290,000 yeah, yeah oh, exactly it was 10 billion but the prices were reasonably uh, were reasonably uh, affordable mm-hmm. for for residents um, so yeah, that's 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 certainly what we're expecting more of this year. And Aldar being, of course, one of the heavyweights, you know, that was behind the uh, the gate yeah. towers on Ream and you know F1 circuit at Yaz Island, Ferrari World, Yaz Water World. I mean, other heavyweights include, yeah. of course, uh, people like Abu Dhabi Commercial Properties, which represents more than seven thousand private landlords. But this year, there's going to be uh, a newcomer. Um, they they were there last year, but I mean, a newcomer as in the sense of. Uh, Recently, recently formed Arada was founded in 2016, and as the newest uh, UAE developer, I think I'm right in saying, yeah. um, is becoming a kind of a driver of economic growth in Sharjah. Um, do yeah. you think for uh, the the way the state of of the property sector in uh, the UAE and possibly the wider region? Uh, do you think there's there is still room for um, newcomers to come in, such as Arada? And and really create um, create a niche for themselves. Well, yes, I mean exactly. I I, I think that there is. I mean, I think Arada has um, has demonstrated that. Uh, I haven't got a figure to at the top of my head at the moment, but certainly um, last year they managed to sell out a, a, a few of the phases of their 6.5 billion Al Jada. Yeah, the mega community. Um, yeah. Now. Yeah, and and you know, but the thing is, they've tapped into a, a a real niche. Sharjah is obviously not as developed as some other parts of the UAE, and there was a real need for some affordable family housing, and um and also specifically not necessarily just city living and apartment living. There was a need for actually developing some of the land outside of the main the main urban centre and creating what we were just discussing, this idea of the sort of mega community mm-hmm. um, with, with everything there, schools, health, health clinics and, mm-hmm. and, and shops, um, which, you know, is also being done uh, in, in Dubai as well. And there are, there are plenty of schemes in Dubai, in Dubai as well, Union Properties, um, big scheme out beyond JVC, and, uh, and Abu Dhabi is also, um, is, is also progressing. Yeah. Um, talking of Dubai, um, first nine months of, of last year, um, uh, I think it was $44 billion worth of real estate transactions were signed. Um, and primarily, it was GCC and Indian investors Indian investors accounting for the bulk of those deals, um, according to the Dubai Land Department. Yeah. It, do you think that is likely to be reflected at uh, Abu Dhabi Cityscape, with primarily the investors being uh, home-based and, and indeed Indian-based? I think certainly, uh, I think certainly that's that's the way to go. I mean, the top the top three um, nationalities that have uh, bought UAE real estate, well, Dubai real estate. The, the figures aren't necessarily uh, they're not available to necessarily across mm-hmm. the whole of the UAE, but certainly the Dubai Land Department figures have shown that the top three nationalities are actually it's Indian, GCC, and uh, and Brits actually okay. is the third one. Um, and not necessarily in that order, but they're the top three, mm. and they kind of move around each year, but they always are kind of at the top. Mm-hmm. And so there doesn't seem any reason um, really why that would change this year, other than perhaps with the Brits, because obviously we've got Brexit and people might be cutting their cloth and holding back on, on making deals, particularly overseas, mm. until they 
see um, get a bit more certainty with the economic trajectory of the UK. So, but yeah, other than that, I think GCC investors have historically been very interested in UAE real estate, and Indian investors have as well. Yeah. Um, certainly, um, Indians are among the biggest uh, expat community in the UAE, so there's a lot of interest in that front. And uh, of course, talking about um, uh, British exhibitors or exhibitors from Europe, um, one such UK um, co- uh, company, Global Ninety Nine Investment, will be there. Um, they've recently opened a new office in Abu Dhabi, and another is um, M Investment Group, um, which was only founded in 2017 in Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, by a Barbarini businessman, in fact, um, and that's involved in in real estate uh, projects in Bosnia as well as throughout Europe. Given um, such uh, exhibitors uh, as them, do you, do you think Europe will be well represented this year? I do think Europe will. Uh, it is certainly of interest to Middle Eastern real estate investors. Um, so from a sort of marketing point of view for them, Cityscape could be a really valuable, um, a really valuable platform for them. I think Europe, Europe um, certainly, but I think also perhaps China, mm-hmm. um, perhaps the US. We have seen um, we have seen increasing um, increasing interest from uh, regional investors to actually um, take their money beyond the region as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think perhaps that is uh, I'm, I'm hearing that that's to do with um, obviously we've got a certain degree of regional instability at the moment, geopolitical instability more broadly in the Middle East, and I think whenever that happens, if you look back over um, over the past decade or more. Our Middle Eastern investors uh, are always, uh, there's a large appetite for um, assets in safe haven type locations such as London or, or elsewhere in Europe. Um, and certainly, uh, again, with, with Brexit, there's been a, a massive pickup in interest from Middle Eastern in- investors looking to buy property in the UK mm. because, of course, they have a very favourable deal with the, uh, the pound mm. and dirham conversion. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Cityscape Abu Dhabi runs from uh, 16th to the 18th of April uh, at the Abu Dhabi National Exhibition Centre. Um, for visitors interested, opening times at 10am to 8pm. Thanks very much for that uh, look ahead to uh, to the big show, uh, Sarah. I'm sure you're going to be very busy Thank next you. week. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> looking forward to it. UK-born Henry Bott is portfolio manager at Hong Kong-based Swire Properties Taiku Place Development, which comprises nine Grade A office towers, as well as car parking, clubs, apartments, parks and shops, which are all designed to meet the needs of business people from around the world. Recently, Henry joined me in the studio to talk about Taiku Place. A very warm welcome, Henry, and thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Um, Great to be here. Good stuff. You you are a portfolio manager at uh, Swire Properties Tyco Place Development in uh, Hong Kong, which is enormous, isn't it? Um, I wonder, could you just give us a, a bit of a background about uh, yourself and about Swire Properties in general? Sure, of course, yeah. So um, I've been working for Swire for about nine years, uh, all in uh, Beijing and Hong Kong. So Beijing for the first three years and Hong Kong for the last five and a half, almost six uh, Swire Properties are part of the Swire Group, which is still very much run by the Swire family in London. Um, but the listed company is Swire Pacific in Hong Kong, and Swire Properties is, is, is part of that listed group. And we uh, principally develop and manage large-scale mixed-use uh, projects 
which are retail-led, but with office, hotel, and often residential components, in um, principally in Hong Kong, China, and we also have a project in Miami as well. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what's your role as portfolio manager at uh, Taiku Place? What, what does that involve? So my current role um, is to re- really asset manage uh, our, our, pro- our portfolio in Taiku Place, which is a, an office district of nine commercial office buildings with sort of streetscape, F&B and retail surrounding that. Um, and then there's a, a million square foot shopping mall just to the south of it. So connected to, but not part of Taiki Place specifically. Um, and it's really the, the leasing and property management of that asset. Uh, but I've been on Swire's general management program since I started. So they, they rotate me around a number of different departments. So I've done a, a bit of retail leasing, a bit of investment. And then I've worked on the, the digital transformation piece as well, which uh, we started about four years ago. Mm. You were head of Swire Properties Digital Team, uh, which I believe was focused on sort of enhancing customer experience uh, across the business through using digital technology. Can you give us an example of how how that manifests itself in in uh, in the real world? Yeah, I mean, so this is about this is mid uh, two thousand sixteen, and I think uh, at the time uh, our CEO was quite um, aware that. Some of our malls needed to focus a little bit more on the customer experience um, and all of the, sort of the different touch points along that customer journey. Um, and we have we have nine. Well, we know we have eight malls, soon to be nine. That, um, there's five, five existing in China, with another one coming online next year in uh, in Shanghai. But they're all different positionings, different brand personas. So the uh, the, the quality of the experience was slightly different in each one um, and we wanted to make that quality consistent across all of them so that even though one may be an outlet mall and one may be a high-end luxury one um, the, the quality of the experience as a customer when you're there is, is no different um, and then at the time we wanted to focus more on delivering a, a more seamless experience and then using the digital technology to do that so really my focus was sort of threefold um, it was to come up with new digital products that could help with that customer experience. So taking the friction out of each touch point along that customer journey. Secondly, collecting more data with which to um, more effectively target our customers. And then thirdly, improving our online brand awareness because each of our malls wasn't really, um, we, we weren't sort of participating in the pre-arrival experience for customers. So the, the search and discovery online. So that was really our the, the, the key objectives when we set up the, the digital team. When we talk about customer experience, I mean, how practically might I be aware of good or bad customer experience within a, within um, that setting? Um, so I think you know, we, 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 as customers, we do a lot quite intuitively, but our expectations, I would say, have increased um, perhaps even subconsciously just by the number of apps and services that we use on a daily basis in our in our lives. So whether it's you know Uber or WeChat in China, um, the, the friction of our daily lifestyle needs and activities is being eradicated. So in a, in a physical retail context, that has been lagging a little bit, and, and that's what we wanted to address. We wanted to sort of bring in the Uber style or the Airbnb style or the delivery style experience in terms of the frictionlessness into uh, a retail context so that it was very easy to find products within our mall 
uh, rather than just having to turn up on the day and hope that they were in stock within the mall. Um, and then you know, after you've left the mall, how is the, the mall then sending you content and offers that are relevant for your preferences? So it, it, it was really, if I summarize, it was wanting to participate in the customer journey before and after the customer has left the mall so mm-hmm. that uh, we were more involved, really. Okay. And uh, obviously, uh, here in the UAE, we have uh, the big uh, show Cityscape coming up uh, next uh, next month, um, or certainly yeah. soon. Um, uh, <clears throat> What? How do you do? You see um, both both personally and and, and via Swire um, synergies between the UAE uh, and and this region and and China and Hong Kong uh, regarding the real estate sector. Are, are there are there similarities or are they very very different? I think there's, there's uh, inevitably very obvious differences be- between the markets or, or unique idiosyncrasies in say Dubai, Abu Dhabi that, that you don't find in. In China, but there's, I think, in any market, in, in any retail market in the world, there's commonalities in that everyone is meeting the challenge of um, online or e-commerce in different ways. Um, and while actually today, uh, we, I was at a breakfast meeting this morning with some of the CEOs of the big landlords and retail mall owners here, and and the challenges that they were sharing were very similar to the ones that we face in in Hong Kong and China. So. Um, it, it's really how do we keep physical more relevant in the age of e-commerce. And whilst I know in, say, the Middle East that the penetration of e-commerce is not as high uh, as it is, say, in China, uh, I think there's there's still uh, an urgency for mall owners to make that physical retail experience, make sure that it's still relevant for the customer because otherwise, you know, we'll, we'll all just be buying stuff online. So mm-hmm. it, it's the entertainment element. It's um, the, the, that that sort of emotional connection when customers in the mall, customers are in the mall that they can't get online. Yeah, and I, I think, as you say, with the, the, the rise of of, of the uh, digital um, uh, consumer um, uh, sector, um, I mean, one of the things about this region and the UAE in particular is is the rapid growth in in the uptake of of online retail. Um, uh, in 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 many ways, outpacing now outpacing uh, most of the rest of the world. So it's it's catching up now. To a certain extent, that puts pressure on 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 uh, bricks and mortar retailers and and uh, investors in bricks and mortar. That in order to keep footfall coming in, um, that there's a pressure to I guess to cut prices. Now, how far? Can that go to a, to assuaging the you know the the tide of of digital, as it were? Um, yeah, I think there is there's certainly, and again, I'm, I'm speaking, Chris, just from my, my own perspective, mm-hmm. my own experience, but I think we uh, had a, a sort of long, hard look at it a few years ago, and we, we, we recognize that, that you can't just keep only expecting to drive rents, right? Because, mm-hmm. yes, you may achieve um, stellar rents for your prime spaces, and, and convince the, your luxury tenants to pay that. But in three years' time, when the lease comes up for expiry and you haven't done anything to, to generate the footfall, you're not going to still be achieving those rents. So it's unsustainable. So, yes, similarities with the market here in that there's been a, a, in recent years in Hong Kong, say, a bit of a drop-off of, uh, tourist, uh, of tourist numbers. And then that has forced, I think, mall owners to um, 
not rely so heavily on the bread and butter luxury that was the, the key contributor uh, and, and alter the trade mix a little bit more towards lifestyle, entertainment and F&B, which aren't the biggest rent pairs, but then will contribute to driving higher footfall, which then will lead to you know overall higher sales. Mm. Um, looking back to China, um, at the moment there appears to be uh, in the residential market um, a, a bit of a downturn. Um, indeed, Moody's uh, recently um, uh, revealed that 80% of the Chinese real estate companies it covers, it rates at junk. Um, but whilst there is gloom enveloping the residential market, that contrasts really, really quite sharply with what is in fact a solid performance in the in China's commercial property market. Um, I mean, a report by C- CBRE uh, recently showed commercial real estate investment transaction volumes in China hit uh, 37.6 billion, up 4% on the previous year, which is a record high. What What is driving that difference? Why is one so down and the other so up? Um, it's a good question. I'm not sure I have the the uh, exact answer for it. I mean, I would say that it's important to differentiate between the different classes within commercial property. So whether that's retail or office, because I think there is um, in some areas uh, an oversupply of retail, but the, it's the it's the quality retail that will thrive, and those those malls that aren't offering a an experience that's different or that is uh, value add versus just that sort of functional e-commerce, those are the ones that are going to die and, and struggle. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure about the exact sort of mm-hmm. fundamental reasons for that, that uh, oversupply in residential mm-hmm. and the, the low rate, the sort of worrisome ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, uh, I think it, it's, it'll be a focus on you know, the, the prime um, prime locations within the tier one cities, um, but then there is also a lot of growth in in tier two and tier three cities as well. Mm-hmm. Um, coming back to Taiku Place, um, you've worked primarily on the launch of of uh, one Taiku Place. I mean, it's it's an enormous development in Hong Kong, isn't it? It, it uh, you know, as you were saying, nine nine eight soon to be nine grade A uh, interconnected grade A office towers. Uh, you know, total gross floor area of five million square feet. Um, how was the initial um, decision made to de- to further develop that into into the um, and to keep developing it? What what was the driver behind that uh, decision? So, uh, Swa has been uh, has been involved in the area in, in Taiku for a long time, for almost two hundred years actually. Uh, initially, we we had a, a sugar refinery there, then a dockyard, um, and then in the twentieth century. We started build, or after the war, we started building uh, residential towers, and then sold all those off, and then started investing in commercial property. So we, we've been, um, we, we, we take a very long-term view, uh, and uh, our key strategy is placemaking. So we'll, we, we grow the area um, over a sort of long term of development. But I think we, we achieved the critical mass, and uh, it has now become. Um, over the course of the last few decades as we developed it, uh, a seriously sort of viable option for those companies, those multinational firms in central business district for whom rents have become too expensive. Mm. Um, and this is a more cost-effective option with a, a, a higher grade uh, product, basically. So um, it, we're in a quite a, a good position now where as central com- central 
CBD becomes very expensive. Um, we're not only capturing that decentralization, but we're also pitching the portfolio as somewhere that is uh, very conducive to health and wellness. It's, it's somewhere where uh, we believe uh, companies can uh, win the war on talent because everyone now wants to work in a, in a sort of connected environment where all of their uh, sort of lifestyle amenities are in close proximity. So you know, fitness, um, food and beverage, all that sort of stuff. And what's why I have there in Taiku is this uh, unified ownership. So across nine buildings, the the ownership and the property management, the design is all holistically unified. So mm-hmm. uh, you don't get that really anywhere else in Hong Kong. Um, part of, of uh, Taiku Place development is, uh, well, several parts of it are, are really, um, you know, uh, a little bit, uh, a little different, shall we say? I mean, the artistry development, the venue, the, the seven thousand foot square foot multi-purpose venue is, is an interesting one to put in. Um, but you, you were a founder of Blueprint, which is the co-working space launched in twenty fourteen, designed to foster entrepreneurship uh, in Hong Kong. How has that been developing? Yeah, it's been going uh, going very well. Thanks. It's uh, it's something. We actually uh, initially pitched as quite, it was quite opportunistic. We had a, a an older industrial building that was built in the early 80s that was due to be demolished as part of the overall transformation of Taiki Place and the, the, the redevelopment of these two new Grade A towers. So we, we had within that building, it had two floors vacant, and we pitched this proposal to the CEO to say, look, let's do something a bit different with it. Let's create this co-working space and accelerator where we can offer free space to startups in Hong Kong and over the course of two years that that went very well you know it, it allowed Swire to connect to this next generation of sort of entrepreneurial talent uh, which was a huge learning opportunity for us but it also uh, was a bit of a, a you know community outreach and for the CSR program in that we were giving away our asset which was space for free mm-hmm. and helping out um, not struggling, but helping out you know, promising startups in Hong Kong for whom the occupancy costs were, were very, very high. So off the back of that initial uh, blueprint, we've now, we're have now we now in the second iteration where it has a permanent home in one of our, our office towers. Mm-hmm. And it's really morphed into a more sophisticated facility, which is a value add for our tenants. So it's, it's a flexible space which tenants can use for uh, events on an on-demand basis, or if they have short-term project teams that uh, they need office space for they can take a sort of a month two month or uh, you know six to 12 months lease in uh, in our co-working space so it, we see it as a real value add amenity to the office tenants in Taiki place mm, that's interesting um finally a, a two-part question really um one will Swire be uh, uh, at Cityscape when it comes up uh, in the next couple of weeks or so, um, and two, does Swire in general have um, uh, ambitions for development in the UAE or, or the wider sort of um, Arabian Gulf or indeed Middle East region? Okay, so uh, answer to the first question is I very much hope to <laughs> to be there. I'm gonna. Despite this being my first time in uh, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed uh, what I've seen and heard in the last couple of days. So I'll be going back to Hong Kong and uh, making a case to my CEO to let me uh, come to Cityscape <laughs> to learn some more. Um, but second question, no, we haven't got any specific plans to be in the region, but the sort of side purpose of this trip was to go on a sort of ideas mission and do a bit of exploring, uh, meet a few of the key players here and then go back to headquarters in Hong Kong and 
to report my findings. And look, we're all always looking at new growth regions. Um, and I think the, you know, the, 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 the GCC here is, is one of those. So I would, uh, I would say watch this space. Henry, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. That's been fascinating. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks a lot. Many thanks to Henry Bott for that in-depth look at Swire's vast Taiku place development and also to our reporter Sarah Townsend for her Cityscape Abu Dhabi preview. Thanks too to our production engineer Kevin Jeffers. My name's Chris Nelson. That was the Business Extra podcast. Join us again next week. <laughs> <laughs>